free jazz guy knowing those names of the people I like <laughs> all, all I know is probably Ornette Coleman and John Zorn right right that's <laughs> two you know two good leaps there and there's one on top of that one which is another extension of Ornette which is Jameel Moondock <laughs> when was the last time you heard that name <laughs> I've never heard it it's a great name <laughs> yeah and, and a guy's a real character he's sort of like a Thelonious Monk type of saxophone player wears little hats and you know, I mean, he's a trivia player. It's not the theater of him, it's the music. Yeah, but it's nice to have the theater element. Yeah, it's there because he's so eccentric, I'm, I'm assuming, and I think it's true, he is. And, I, you know, I, I see the eccentricity, and I don't see the theater, you know. I see it's a real personal expression. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, that's what you want out of oh, art, yeah. out yeah. of any art, is that it that it is personal, that it's what that person wants to create and not what they're creating to make a hit right. I guess which you can't really do in free jazz <laughs> oh, right that away it did go I mean the guy had to leave the music business for 10 years to work in the post office and come back and I don't even know if he's all the way back anyway you know it's it's sad but it's it's part of the artist survival thing which well, um, well, I love one of my favorite you know references that I got scolded for using too much uh, Bukowski you know Oh, yeah. Without the post office, he wouldn't be the jaded fellow he was. Right. um, Now, do you have any questions about the interview process? Not. This will be my first one, so I have no idea. That's what I was wondering if you'd done any interviews before. I was looking around, and I saw nothing. Right. (laughs) Well, you found exactly how many. Yeah. Zero is the amount. It's surprising. There's a lot of folks that I've talked to that haven't ever done interviews. Hmm. Like uh, Ted Stern. I, I highly recommend listening to that because he's a really fascinating guy. He'd never done an interview. Hmm. But he's got like all these great comics and maybe he was even a former student of yours because I know he went to the SVA. Uh, well, you know, I, I teach... Well, now I'm in the cartooning department, but I was teaching in the illustration department mostly. And uh, strangely enough, just before you, you called, uh, Patrick McDonald, who does much, yeah. he called, and he was a student of mine, not that, you know, that was in a drawing class that was about drawing from your head and stuff, and we became really good friends, and he had a great punk band called Steel Tips. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you play, you did saxophone with it, right? Well, at some I, point? Would, I would be the plastic tip. <laughs> 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 you know, he, he, would, he, he would invite me, and I mean, the whole concept was people shouldn't know how to play their instruments, I think, you know. We're kind of like, you know, we're talking 1978, mm-hmm. or whatever, and he was playing CBGBs a lot, so, you know, it was like the, the days of the Dead Boys and, and uh, Cramps and, you know, early uh, early Blondie and stuff like that, and CBGBs was... A happening joint. Yeah, definitely. And, and so I was just thrilled that you know be a, I was like the old guy playing an acoustic instrument you know <laughs> playing saxophone and you know it was no problem that I was there <laughs> and Joe Coleman was in the band you know oh yeah yeah and he would explode on stage and do uh, early you know stage dives and people didn't know what it was and they just got out of the way and he did put his face on the floor you know <laughs> 
which we loved. I can know. see, I can see that. Yeah. So, so, it's, so Patrick called. He's got uh, some book thing he's signing, and it's bizarre because at the same time I was listening to a radio interview with Art Spiegelman and Francois Mouly. Oh, for their uh, the new book. Yeah. And so it's like, whoa, a cartoon moment. I mean, like, how often does that happen? It's a cartooning day. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that. It sounds fantastic, the kids' book. Yeah, well, you know, covering all the classic uh, comics for kids. You know, from what I got, because as soon as the, as Patrick Call I had, had to turn off the radio, so I didn't hear the rest of it. But anyway, well, shall we begin? I guess. Yeah. Officially, um, this is uh, Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. My guest today, I'm very excited about this, is uh, Jerry Moriarty, whose new book, the um, recently reprinted from the lovely folks at Buenaventura Press, uh, The Complete Jack Survives as well. I was scouring through my comic collection of oddities, and you have uh, a really uh, wonderful article, I guess, well, it's not an article, it's an essay by you, mm-hmm. about you, um, in comic art number nine, as well as a lot of great imagery and Kramer Zergot number six and something I picked up by accident well not by accident but in the comic store by my house got this and had no idea what it was Gin in Comics Mm -hmm. which uh, has some of your uh, I guess mid 80's work right exactly the the crimes visual crimes the visual crime series um, which only has parts of it and then one part's in Raw Volume 2 Book 2 and I don't know what the rest is reprinted in or printed in. Well, just that one. Well, uh, Ben Catcher's picture stories. Oh, okay. The first one. Uh, actually, his picture stories number two because he he did it very privately published, even though the number two was private, uh, but almost like a fanzine version of it. And then number two came out and had, had color. He even gave me the cover and stuff. <laughs> one of those super generous guys. That's very nice. And he. Yeah also teaches or does he still teach at the SBA uh, I don't know I, I he's just been all over the place uh, from back you know we're talking 20 years ago now mm-hmm. so I haven't been in contact with him recently but it's, I just, he comes up a lot I mean as a you know force and what a smart guy I mean just uh, and, and super generous you know uh, and great comics Oh yeah, well, <laughs> I mean that's that's a given. You know, he, his art is amazing. I mean, and his his perspective on Julius Knipple and uh, you know that whole whole idea of uh, just wandering, how you wander through the city, the city of New York, and you know what he what he observe there. You know that you go, wow, it's like a, a faded poster would mean something way more than you thought. You know because he would reminisce on it or whatever you know and and the art is just amazing and um, and like I said he's the, the really true intellectuals I've I've met I mean not that I've I have a broad uh, area of, of of social movement but the ones I've met have been in comics you know really <laughs> really the smart people I mean Art Spiegelman that's, that's, that's a given right there yeah. and then Ben I mean Ben in his very quiet way says things that just knock you down you know <laughs> and, and not to forget Francoise oh yeah right <laughs> on and on I mean you know uh, it's, it's just I, I don't know why I'm surprised at it uh, but I was at first and then I realized you know that's that's part of the old prejudice that even I had you know even though I love comics I was thinking I'm going to meet people that um, you know couldn't put three words together together not that i could i mean that was the point i was i thought i was gonna be really comfortable <laughs> ended up you know like art when i first met him how he you could almost see his gears shifting you know as he's accommodating your your level of intellect you know in a very positive way you know you felt kind of like it's, a, it's an act of of regard it wasn't like you know you felt demeaned by it he wasn't about to plow you over yeah he really wanted to know you you know so he knew you know, uh, this is the way to do it, and and it's it's true. You know, you felt more comfortable, and and uh, you felt like you know he he found that level that registers on your IQ, and <laughs> now we can talk, right? <laughs> <laughs> Instead of seventy eight RPM, you know, we're down to like you know MP three. 
Uh, um, I've only had the chance to talk to him for about five minutes, so hopefully I'll I'll get that experience. And he, I think he'd been awake for about thirty hours or something after a flight into Vancouver. Yeah. Right. Oh, for the uh, for the crazy show that crazy y- show. you had a series of pieces. Uh, not all of Jack survives, but a bunch of pieces from Jack survives. Right. I think I can't remember how many. It was a while ago. Yeah, it was about 10, 15, actually, 15 pieces. Okay, so fair amount. Yeah, I mean, they're 18 by 24, so it wasn't like... Uh, it was right next to Justin Green's um, Pinky Brown. Yeah. It's the Virgin Mary. Major, major book. The, which I'm actually... I've got a bunch of... Specifically reference to Justin Green to chat about a little later when we get into some of the stuff. Okay. Um... Because I see some some definite crossover between the two of you. Um, well, that's, that's a huge compliment because he's, you know, just just an impressive. That book especially, oh, yeah. 1974. It yeah. kind of broke open the barriers of being able to be so, I guess, literal and honest. Yeah, and personal, so deeply personal. I mean, sort of like if you finally understand um, Edward Monk, you know, the guy who did the screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Meaning, understanding for your your own purposes, you, you realize the guy is, was able to say emotion, emotional things in art, you know, in painting and in drawing and woodcuts and all the other ways that you wouldn't think were accessible visually. You think, well, that's a written concept, that's a movie concept, but you know, in a still image, how do you do that? Well, I mean, that's that's the kind of thing that I think Justin did with that Binky Brown, you know. Um, Wow, you know. Yeah, it really speaks to where he's coming from and kind of the demons that he's struggling with. And I think demons is probably the most appropriate word I can think of. Yeah, right. Given the context of that work. Yeah, right. Um, so you have a, a an encyclopedic knowledge of comics? Not really. No. I uh, I, I was brought up in that generation of. Um, uh, early or, or post World War Two into EC, you know, I mean, being totally involved with superhero comics as a younger kid, and then uh, I turned twelve or thirteen around the time of EC's breakthrough, you know, um, war comics, two visit tales, flying combat and stuff. During the Korean War, when my brother was in the army, but he wasn't in Korea; he was in Germany. So that was, but Good. I got. <laughs> It's you know, almost like you know WW two and a half. Yeah, and, and you got you know I was a kid, a really young kid in, in World War Two, uh, but during Korea I was like you know arriving at that place of understanding the world around me a little bit, and um, like I got a second shot at WW two. You know, I mean that's it's a sad thing to say because you know fifty thousand people died there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Americans, not to mention you know, all the other people. But you know, the idea is that that uh, it it was such beautiful art and such great stuff in the sense of storytelling that I completely you know turned my back on superheroes. Um, I mean, like gone, and just like out the window. And then you know, like I was at that state in my own art as a kid to want more than than what I was getting with the superhero stuff. And consumed that, and then went to art school. And uh, I can remember one time at this local bar. Uh, I went to Pratt in Brooklyn, uh, in this local bar called the Alibi Club. We're all sitting around, getting drunker and drunker on our pitchers of beer, and, and finally got down to the truth telling. You know about what was your real influence. You know, and I, you know, blurted out Jack Davis. You know. And, <laughs> And someone else says, you know, uh, 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 another EC guy, and we weren't talking about the Kooning and Gustin any longer, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it was like, what really mattered was these people coming from EC, you know? And, uh, and um, you know, by the next day, of course, we got sober and got back to serious talk. <laughs> Never to be mentioned again. <laughs> right, but but the moment of truth really was revealed, i gotta, I got to say. And then I, you know... Uh, I was well into my own teaching um, when a student came in in, in the early, late 60s, early 70s, 
commenting on on a comic convention here in New York, and and I thought, well, what what kind of thing is that, you know? Uh, and the guy said, well, you know, we have old comics and new comics and whatever. And I, you know, I commented on, well, I wonder what ever happened to Two Fisted Tales and Frontline Combat. And he says, well, I got a copy, you know, I'll bring it in next week. And I thought, okay, it's my obligatory, you know, um, be nice to the student teacher thing, you know. And I'll look at it with, oh, yeah, that still looks good, you know, with tongue-in-cheek. And he brought it in, and I I looked at it. He said, you can take it home and take a, you know, look at it and keep her. Okay. I really was assuming I was going to be disappointed. And when I started looking at it, it was unbelievable. It was beautiful. It was like, wow, this is this is incredible. Here I am, you know, like in my early 30s now, um, thinking I'd leave all childhood things behind. Uh, and yet there was this, like, reminder, but yet brand new, um, experience with DCs, and then I started going to the comic conventions, you know, and finding all the other things which weren't part of my childhood at all. They were just like brilliant comics, you know. Like, I'm curious. I mean, we've got these direct connections from comics to comics, but then you have a whole chunk of time that's abstract, and I'm wondering how that worked. My work, you mean? Yeah. That I was an abstract artist. Yeah, like. How did that develop from the childhood of being interested in the comics and then kind of push it? Well, that the, was just the, being cool. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm I'm of the James Dean generation. <laughs> <laughs> cool is like you know everything was about cool, and I, I'm glad it was because it, you know it stretches you anyway. Like you you pretend to be somebody you're not, but meanwhile you 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 learn about that thing that you're pretending to be. You know, and so when I went to art school. Um, all that figurative stuff was like it was all abstract expressionism and um uh in order to be cool and, and loving being cool i mean that was, no one forced me into this um it was it was part of the understanding of the world at large you know kind of thing being away from binghamton my my hometown rod serling's hometown incidentally <laughs> <laughs> it is the twilight zone uh in any event um uh finding out that um I could be obscure and and you know not know what I'm doing at all and and be in touch by some bizarre osmosis and the um, the other thing was the beat generation that was the beat generation time so people went to dark coffee houses and listened to obscure poetry you know and cool jazz and uh, and that was good because I didn't know what the hell that was about either and it was it was pretty heady you know uh, to go from small town America to um, to Greenwich Village, <laughs> really to Greenwich Village, exactly, and, and and to have everything be exactly as you imagined it to be, and more, you know. Um, so so that's where I embraced the, the full abstract expressions and thing. And by the time I got out of school, I was like, you know, full blown abstract artist. I thought, and uh, but yet at the same time, it was illustration. We had, you know, I was in a mixed um, department I mean that's the way it was back then they would have painters taking illustration class and illustrators taking painting class and we'd be all you know changing our minds every other week I'm an illustrator I'm a painter I'm an illustrator I'm a painter and uh, but it got to be cooler to be a painter so got out of school had enough uh, stuff on a portfolio to go to girly magazines and get some you know work and that was at a time when you could do really expressionist stuff, and and the more obscure it was, the more you looked like Playboy, you know. Yeah. And so, I had that kind of freedom as an illustrator. Um, didn't make much money, but that's never been the issue. I mean, to start with. Um, and I remember one and at night I'd paint these these abstract expressionist paintings, and um, I remember one time around '63 or '4, somewhere around there that I decided to make a wall out of the paintings and I, I put they were five foot by five foot paintings square uh, put them all around and put my chair in the middle and and just thought well now I'm going to really hear what my paintings are saying I mean I'm not a mystic so it wasn't for, for those reasons it was just mm-hmm. I didn't know what to say about them anymore I, you know they completely baffled me and I figured well if I sit there in the middle of these things in my small room I'm going to I'm going to get it you know so I sat there, and the paintings just completely ignored me. 
they talked to each other, I, I assume, and they left me out. I'm the creator, and they didn't even, you know, acknowledge my presence. Uh, I mean, if I was really abstract, that would be very important and cool, you know, but the it fact didn't. was, I, I was I was completely pissed off, you know, these paintings, I made these things, and they don't even, you know, relate to me, and that that was the end of it. I realized I wasn't abstract at all. It didn't resonate within you, and wasn't really... It was yeah. It was just more of a creating a using a form to have right. a product. Yeah, you know, it was really great to be able to you know, feel contemporary and all the other stuff. And I had to finally just settle for my figurative self and just say, "Well, I guess I'm I'm not an abstract guy." So you know, uh, I I went full bore on on my figurative stuff, and which was well intact because of doing the illustration constantly redoing the portfolio for walking around and seeing more and more different editors publishers and stuff for magazine work and um, so that was that was up to date basically because of that my figurative stuff but that from that point on I, I, I no longer painted abstractly and you know uh, the art world is much better for it <laughs> It's so online. <laughs> so what? Um, what were you working on? I'm curious. Like, where does that connect between um, kind of stopping with the abstract and what you were working on before, kind of jumping into the world of comic conventions and seeing what yeah. the comic world is made out of? Well, there was the other option, which was coming on the scene at the same time. I actually was completely on the scene. Was the pop? Uh, that was the figurative. I mean, we're all in awe of the return to the figure. I mean, there was these these uh, murmurings from the West Coast, you know, of um, uh, uh, different artists like Parks and Bischoff and people like that uh, that were kind of making it to the to the East Coast. Uh, that yes, there is a kind of form of abstract uh, figure, figuration going on, and it all became pretentious to me. I mean, from my perspective, Demon Corn was another one major painter from the West Coast. And, and I was, but I was looking deeply into that, because I, I, I really wanted to be cool. You see? <laughs> it's all about being cool. Not smart, but cool, you know? I mean, not that I could be smart. <laughs> the idea was cool I, I understood better than I did you know intellectual processes so um, at least I thought I did I mean that's another sign of not knowing what's going on but th the notion was uh, the return of the figure so it, it wasn't going back but you know there was the that through abstract means but it was coming back through these totally obscure things uh, that were done by pop artists you know like Andy Warhol etc mm -hmm. and um uh, so I was seeing that kind of 
refocusing back to everyday life kind of thought processing, you know, thinking about things that were the uh, Lichtenstein comic stuff, even though it turned out to be a total sham as far as comics were concerned. It was kind of like, you know, um, slumming, you know, comics as, as a ridicule in a sense. Um, but uh, Warhol was different. Warhol seemed to be, because he was a former illustrator. I mean, he did do you know, a lot of illustration. He came to New York to be an illustrator. So I did kind of understand him to some degree, but not really embrace, you know, the, the non-paint surface, you know, the photo, photo uh, screen thing. Um, mm-hmm. So, and and the subject matter was, was a little bit, uh, uh, a little bit too close, you know, like I, I couldn't separate from, you know, the, the comment about it versus the aesthetics of it, you know, like the object itself, like a Campbell's soup can or whatever, you know. I mean, to me, I could do a whole thing on Campbell's soup cans as my own personal experience with, you know, coming home from school and having, you know, Campbell's tomato soup, you know. It would never be the iconic uh, version that, that Warhol would do. There would be a whole story behind it, you know, that Warhol completely removed, you know, by just placing it there it was it was more about symbols yeah and, and the power and, of symbols i guess right it would awaken your thoughts i mean if if you if you got past the point of it you know it doesn't stop there there's a story behind it in each person's life so that was it so so i was starting to do these things with um world war ii objects because that was my my uh beginning of symbolism in my life you know like a, a ww uh, uh the Supermarine Spitfire was like the most beautiful plane ever made, I think. You know, I just loved them. And, and I used to come in Kellogg's pep boxes. There would be these like punch out things in the bottom of the cereal. And um, you, you would put it together and would say, This is not a flying model. You know, like you put it together and you throw it and it's like fall on it. You know, a piece of cardboard. <laughs> 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 and my brother, my older brother, used to make these balsa wood, you know, uh, paper um, stretched, uh, painted model airplanes. You you put on strings and float them from the top of, you know, from his ceiling in his bedroom. You know, you go, wow! I'd lie in his bed and look up at all these like beautiful planes, you know, all painted these bright colors. And so I started doing these six foot by six foot paintings with um, flipping TV sets because. During my time, my TV set would flip, and the black line would stop in the middle. And, and so, like the newscaster's head would be at the bottom, and his body would be at the top. You know, b- below the black line mm-hmm. would be the top of the head because it, if it flipped all the way, that that would be the black line would be you know at the top of the of, of the TV screen. So I started doing these paintings that had the black line through the middle and the shape of the old TV sets, not kind of strange, not circle, but kind of like square, you know, and the, the edges, and um, and I'd have like a girly magazine figure with with a transplanted body and a head at the top, and and the, and the bottom would be a Supermarine Spitfire or a Stuka dive bomber or something like that. Yeah. So and these were flat, bright colors, and um, but yet they looked painted. I mean, they didn't they didn't look like silk screen. So that was a period of me slowly getting back to the figure, and then finally I, you know. Well, that definitely sounds related to your other work. Yeah, it was sort of embracing my own my own history, even though I was making it grander, you know, by by you know taking it out of the Kellogg's pep box. I mean, today I would probably stay with the Kellogg's pep box, but you know, back then I'd say, well, it's a symbol of Supermarine Spitfire, and Captain Marvel was one of my. I, I sort of graduated into Captain Marvel as one of my favorite people, um, and I remember trying to find a Captain Marvel comic book. Uh, this is before the, the the convention stuff, and going to the used magazine stores in the city and finally finding one and seeing what he looked like, you know. Uh, and he was based on Fred McMurray, it turns out, from uh, My Three Sons, you know, <laughs> you know the actor, the movie movie guy uh, he uh, C.C. C. Beck who did mm. the Captain Marvel recently uh, commented uh, Double Indemnity that was also 
um, uh, Fred McMurray the, it, with Barbara Stanwyck, the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He, he was the he was the good bad guy or whatever you call him. Uh, she was the bad guy. Uh, in any event, uh, that look uh, was what C.C. Beck used as the basis for Captain Marvel. Anyway, I, I've as soon as I got, I did find a, a really tore up version of, of Captain Marvel, and as soon as I looked at the at that the original, something like connected inside me, and I go, "Wow, you know, this is really this has this has something to do with me, really, you know, something deeper." And uh, yet, I still didn't make the, the complete leap to the comics until that kid uh, brought in that Two Fist Tales in the early seventies, and I started going to conventions and. It was a world unknown to me, you know? Well, CC Beck, that's an interesting example because when you look at a lot of the Golden Age comics, um, it was more house artists. It's just like it would be signed by one person and drawn by whoever. Right. Um, and kind of, you know, some archaeologists have figured out who's drawn which ones. Right. But CC Beck, as far as I know, he, he did his stuff, and that was CC Beck's stuff, and it's very unique style to him. Yeah. And so it's a really unique choice out of all these other references to pick up because I, I think the CC back stuff is gorgeous like yeah well I, I, at, at the time it was it, it was such a nice counterpart to to the alien Superman you know mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean here Captain Marvel was like I oh, say Shazam and there he was you know and uh, it was like a newsboy uh, or whatever I think it, he was he worked in a radio station yeah Captain Marvel Jr. was a newsboy crippled newsboy you know? I mean, it got to be so convoluted that you couldn't figure out the Marvel kids, the Marvel family. You know, it got to be a real franchise. And you go, you know, Superboy also happened too. So like, it wasn't just. Um, and you know, they had a court case. You know, because Captain Marvel could fly, and you know the the DC people got on the Fawcett people. You know, who were the publishers of Captain Marvel, and um, Captain Marvel won. So. Captain Marvel actually overcame Superman, but they can't call the comic Captain Marvel. Oh, is that? Oh, is that? Oh, they had to call it. Shazam. Well, the the stuff that's right now that yeah. published currently, the yeah, they can't publish it as Captain Marvel. They have to publish it as Shazam. Or the character is called Captain Marvel, but they can't have that as a right. title of a comic. Huh. Uh, you know, it's it's you know when, when it got to be hugely successful that way, I, I guess everything you know gets nitpicked to death. You know, like. You can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't. Unbelievable, you know. That's all products, and that's yeah. the the sad part about comics is they do get condensed down to being a a well, consumer good. I guess. Yeah, everything. I mean, music, whatever. You know, it's sort of why I'm on the fringes. I mean, not I, not that I don't belong here, but I mean, believe me, <laughs> I understand. You know, if you don't work, you don't get it. You know, I mean, the the notion of that. I gotta. You know, if, if people think I'm something to be discovered because I was ignored all these years, no, I just didn't participate. I mean, it's my fault if if I'm any good, you know, uh, well, and, and whatever. You've made a conscious effort not to sell your work, which I find very interesting. Well, it's not an effort. It's just like no one asks, and then so you don't have to sell anything. Then you make it an issue of, see how how uh, principled I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's my way to cover my butt. You know, it's, it's simple as that. But but there is some real deal here because it turns out that there's no kids dependent on my feeding them and stuff like this. So no one else suffers if if I don't make money. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If I, if there is responsibilities, I think I would step up and and do the right thing. You know, I, I, in fact, I know I would. I I won't be that humble, but. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's simple as that. And But I really, I, I come from, you know, kind of like a, blue, a white-collar working-class family. I mean, Jack himself. And so I've never really gotten into the notion of, do I really need these extra things? And, you know, I'd rather spend the money on, you know, something that I want to collect or whatever, uh, as opposed to going to some super vacation in Europe or whatever, you know? or have a car, or, or all the other things. So I live pretty close to survival level comfortably, you know? Um, so there's, 
there doesn't seem to be a, a really good trade-off. If if you have worked on a picture and it's the best thing you've got in your house, I mean, your pictures are are the most valuable things to you, and then it turns out that other people may want them, and then they have a lot of money, and they come and they buy them, and then you don't have the picture and you don't have the money because you spent the money, uh, there seems to be like... There's a gap. Wrong. Yeah, it seems the stalemate. There's kind of like... I miss my picture, and my pictures are so slow in telling me what they're about, you know, like if a picture's gone before years up, um, like a lot of artists are are very happy to have that happen, uh, I I feel I haven't heard what the picture is about, really, you know, <laughs> it's got this kind of delayed, I'm a slow learner anyway, and so the pictures are slow tellers, so between the two of us, you know, uh, you know, it may all, all of a sudden occur to me a year later what this picture really is about in another level that I wasn't conscious of, you know. And I love finding, I love the afterlife of pictures, you know. Um, that's that's what I do it for. I mean, I love doing the pictures, too. I hate starting pictures. <laughs> I hate starting The blank I mean, canvas is the... Oh, God, it's... I have to get major art guilt before I get into a painting, you know, or any a drawing or whatever. Just as soon as I start, I belong to it, you know, and and then I'm cool because I put on my good music and I, you know, there's a methodology that goes into play. But you know, just getting started is like, whoa, it's it's a killer. And, and because there's no one, you know, banging on my door saying we want Thursday, you know, kind of stuff, I can wait till I get really, you know, build up this major Justin Green Catholic guilt, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Which I I was an ex-Catholic, so I, I totally understand and relate to that, uh, you know, his his problems <laughs> with not being able to walk in, in front of a Catholic church without getting a heart on, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that twinge of erotic guilt. <laughs> yeah, right. I think it's terrific. I, you know, I'm glad it was, you know, that kind of religion that just got me freaked, you know, that that makes me have these, like, you know, this major guilt. Uh, and I, and it, it passes over from, uh, from that to being things like, you know, if I don't make an art to some, some degree of distance between the last picture and the next picture, uh, I get all fuzzy and not clear who the hell I am. You know, I'm kind of this blob. And then I get into a picture, and I say, oh, "Whoa, here we are! Hello, Mr. Moriarty. You know, and that's my name, Moriarty. So I have to do that. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? I mean, it's still like Ernie Bushmiller talking. Uh, you know, I tell I tell to my classes. I say, you know, you have trouble pronouncing my name. First of all, don't call me, you know, Mr. Moriarty. Call me Jerry because I'm going to be calling you by your first name. Um, but in case you're talking about me in another class for some reason." I'm more arty than you are. Because <laughs> I'm, you know, much older. Of course, mm. So that makes me more arty. Years so, steeped in art. Yeah, so so I guess I'm I'm destined to do this, you know. So, anyway, that's that's the, uh, the short answer. <laughs> 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 Sorry. Thank <laughs> you. 
I'm, I enjoy this kind of free, open conversation. That's why, like, you'll never see me do an email interview. It's, I, I, just, I did one, and it was the most painful process ever, and I wouldn't be surprised if it never gets answered. <laughs> oh, God. I, I just finished an email thing. Chris Ware is doing a thing for The Believer. Oh, okay. And he interviewed me, um, and it was all email. And and the onus goes back on you. I mean, because you're answering this thing with like deep, profound answers. I mean, the writer you is different than, than the conversationalist. Exactly. You know, and I mean, I love doing it because it really. Because uh, first of all, Chris is just one of those. You know, he's sort of like the um, Tom Hanks of comics. I mean, just like well liked, very sort of, generous, very generous. I mean, talk about generous! My God, the things he's done for me. Uh, and we hardly even know each other in, in a kind of like social way, but by email, we, you know, we're tight, really. Just a sweet man, totally well, brilliant. Besides, I mean, it, it's it's a whole package right there. You just go, wow, you know, hero. He's just a hero, that's for sure. So he uh, he he's he's so shy, he's a shy guy in the sense of um, uh, you know doing the conversation thing I think uh, mm-hmm. we didn't, didn't even have phone calls and stuff you know like it was all by email and he asked some really really great questions and boy you feel responsible for who asked the question you know like you want to give him the best answer because you know he knows exactly where you're coming from because he's you know just well he's he's one of those and that, that, that that's a huge difference between me and Chris is he's someone that very very careful and elaborate and spends time constructing and putting things together and it when it's done it is a very complete package in all kind of aspects of it and like even an email from him is like this complete email and it's like every point's covered you know it's a very you know yeah and yeah I, I couldn't I don't have that um I don't want to say drive I don't know. Maybe it's, it's just it's a... Called, it's, I think it's a nervous system. You don't have that nervous <laughs> I don't. No. You, you explode into, like, you know, spontaneous uh, things, and I'm that way, too. I'm, I'm, I'm totally that way. I mean, uh, it's, it's one of those things that I, I have to remind sometimes art students, which makes me understand it for myself, that not everybody has the super patience, uh, whatever the calls for people doing, like, very exacting lace work and whatever that without going completely nuts um i mean if someone's doing first of all i couldn't do a brick wall like you know do all the bricks in the wall by brick five i'm i'm a i'm a basket case you know (laughs) i figure out ways to doing the wall looking like a brick wall without being a brick wall because my nervous system completely turns on me and says are you kidding me you know this goes into like you know, my cat brain comes on, you know, like... It's a, the David know, Collier technique of only drawing three bricks. Yeah, right. And so you figure out, how do I get the illusion of all these other bricks? And, and you know, or, or, you know, primitives are that way, too. People that do, primitive artists that do, like, every leaf in a tree, you know? And I, you know, there's no way that, that I'm going to do that. I'm going to get the illusion of all the leaves, you know, rather than do each leaf in order to say yes there are you know 9,000 leaves in this tree well with you it seems more like there's ideas of components Mm -hmm. and so you see that component those components are are part of the overall unit of a piece Um, but yeah it doesn't have to be hyper stylized hyper detailed it's more of just knowing what's in there Mm -hmm. what's been inserted What's later? It's 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 layers actually. Instead of side by side elements, you know, I, I I I get smart with art. I start my usual self, which is not that smart with art, and then as the picture evolves, I get smarter by virtue of the picture. And at the end, I'm I, I am hopefully my smartest. I mean, maybe a dumb picture ultimately, but this is the smartest version of that dumb picture. You know, by the time I get to the end, so. With that painting background, the abstract expressionist, whatever you you know, that allows me to change at any moment, um, 
I work from that perspective rather than a graphic artist perspective, which is don't hurt the white, you know, save the white, the patience of, of don't hurt the white, or, you know, be careful. That way you have to be highly professional in, in that kind of skill manner. I can be a real klutz and and redeem it with white acrylic, you know? Well, that's, that, I was going to say, that's what I like about this part, the black and white, well, the non-color pa- pieces in the in the right. Jack Survives book is, is that you kind of destroy the white. You've tried, right. Like. And it's in the process of building something. And that's what's so nice about that book uh, is that it can show the under uh, pelvis sets, what do they call that, pelvis sets. The, the underworking is still revealed even though it's painted over. Mm-hmm. And that... that uh, couldn't happen in in the early 80s with the original raw uh, version of of Jack because I mean it's pre-digital they had no way of being able to afford you know printing full color so they printed from uh, from direct positive uh, photostats which is high contrasted so the middle grade disappears and it's black and white so it looks like a woodcut almost which I loved. I mean, I, I loved that other version of, of Jack, you know, um, that that happened then. But I really would prefer to see it in the, in the way that, that it is seen now, you know. Well, the the right near the beginning of the book, the one of uh, getting visited by the insurance salesman, I really loved the, the last panel where it says he's a damn intellectual, but then under it you kind of see this, like... Uh, something you could tell that was even more frustrated or just like more commentary like he says something something and it just seems like Mm -hmm. you know there was more ideas of he thought more of the person other than just what he's saying to his wife right yeah I mean that goes on and on where I I hadn't thought it through I mean I I thought enough of it but I hadn't thought the dialogue through I knew that, that I wanted this image to be about this visiting insurance guy and you know I'd done sketches and stuff and then when I got to the doing of it on the 18 by 24 paper um, you know new things happen and I, I invite them to happen I, I want them to happen if they don't happen there's something wrong you know and so naturally that's that's going to be part of the uh, actual experience and the original art itself shows that you know that there's this bluish black bluish uh, um, white acrylic underneath the and on that paper which is yellow yellow white to begin with Arches paper is not a blue white paper uh, you really can see it um, but in the original raw you wouldn't have seen it you know um, back in like I say pre-digital mm-hmm. I mean just I mean, can you imagine how much that would have cost back then <laughs> it was know. limited edition enough as it was <laughs> yeah yeah right and uh, I think it was brilliant how they did that, you know, how they came up with that, to, you know, the way to do it, to be able to do work from direct positives. I haven't actually seen... I've seen the outside of the original edition, but I've never flipped yeah. through a copy. Yeah, we're, inside, you, you, I mean, you really... A lot of people thought it was woodcut, even. Yeah. It was so strong black and white, which I, is very appealing, because, you know, it, it shows my design held up. I mean, it worked... You know, structurally, it, it didn't fall apart without the subtleties of the grayish, you know, paint over stuff. It looked okay, you know. Well, why don't we um, jump into into kind of the in, <coughs> excuse me into Jack mm-hmm. and kind of how you went from going to these comic conventions and where Jack came from from that. Okay, I'm curious about that that those linkages because we kind of touched on the conventions a little but right. well the by the end of the 70s uh, I was um, completely like you know in New York they used to have a thing called Second Sunday Phil Suling who put on the original 4th of July uh, July weekend or whatever holiday uh, comic conventions which was once every uh, every year um, uh, so what happened was that by by the end of the 70s I was much more engaged with uh, the uh, comics than I was with art gallery stuff you know I mean I was really seeing stuff that, that 
completely amazed me. And I found that that if I collect something, I, I mean, my, my, my real nature is I'm a collector in something of some way, some form, whether it's Life magazines or whether now I collect uh, these Hawaiian shirts. I, I mean, there's just something is there informing me of, of stuff. And that's really what, what happened was that once it gets into that part of my brain, I want to make something relating to it. You know, the, the collection informs the creator. The collector becomes the creator, mm-hmm. you know. And that's, you know, really where that's at. Can, can you wait just a second? I got a doorbell ringing.